Hey, what's up and welcome to the Game Positive Podcast. I hope everyone had a great long weekend for 4th of July or Canada Day or whatever holidays I may not know of that you celebrate. I hope we're all feeling recharged and I hope we got to play a lot of video games during the break. Not a ton of news on the docket today, but there is a few interesting tidbits to talk about. Uh, but before we jump in, I just want to give a quick shout out to SeasonGaming.com. I have some cool stuff over there in the last week or so, starting with my first ever hardware video review with the Turtle Beach Recon controller. You can find the written version of that review on SeasonGaming.com. Notes will be in the show notes, and you can also find the YouTube video for the video version of that review, which was really fun uh, to do. My first time ever doing it after watching hundreds of other people do it before. I'll have that link in the description as well. Another interesting thing on SeasonGaming.com is an article I wrote about how Nintendo actually rejected uh, the influence that Halo had on the Metroid Prime series, uh, specifically with Metroid Prime 3. There was a pretty cool kind of interview that was taking place on another podcast with one of the uh, developers of Metroid Prime 3, and he went into some of the differences that uh, are involved with working with Japanese publishers, or specifically in this case with Nintendo, and how their philosophies are different different. I went in depth on that and had a pretty good article, I think. So good, in fact, that another first for me, I had my first ever pirated piece of writing. Another website had actually copy and pasted my entire article and posted it over there with a small link at the bottom of the screen that linked back to the source, which was my article. So that was neat, uh, having something fully plagiarized. Um, I guess that should be a bad thing, but you know what? It's kind of like a badge of honor in a way. It means someone actually read my article, thought it was good enough to farm some essays. CEO off of and decided to copy and paste it and pass it off as their own. So that's pretty cool news as well. On the topic of Metroid Prime 3, I also want to do a shout out to Tarvold's uh, Perspective or Tarvold's Quest, which is a YouTuber, a friend of mine who is doing a full uh, Metroid series retrospective on his YouTube channel. I'll have that link in the description below. Specifically with Metroid Prime 3, his retrospective for that actually dropped today. And it also goes into some of the influences that Halo inevitably had on the series and how almost one-to-one it was with some of the aspects of Metroid Prime 3. I think the videos that Tarvold's Quest makes over on his YouTube channel are phenomenal. I think he deserves to have significantly more subscribers than he currently has. So please make sure to hit up that link in the description and the show notes and uh, go show him some love and, and check out that series. I think it's really, really good. So without further ado, that's all I have from Season Gaming so far this week. Let's just jump right into the news. First up in the news, we have some interesting developments with Games with Gold, the often forgotten about uh, kind of subscription service that Xbox offers to its Xbox Live members as Game Pass kind of overshadows it nowadays. Uh, There's going to be some changes happening with the uh, removal of any Xbox 360 games from the service beginning in October with the October kind of Games with Gold offering. Typically, 360 games usually actually make up a pretty big chunk of what is currently on offer every month and uh, basically what's happening is they're just running out of of games. There is a finite supply of Xbox 360 games that are actually compatible with the Xbox One so eventually this point in time was inevitable as they've already stated a while ago that they've reached the end of how much they can uh, make backwards compatible. There's obviously some complications with the licensing and stuff like that and some games just don't work. Uh, They have a pretty extensive list as it 
as it stands. And honestly, um, it's one of the most backwards compatible consoles of all time, the Xbox and the Xbox One and Xbox Series. So in a message from Microsoft, they state that beginning with October 1st, 2022, the monthly games Xbox Game Pass Ultimate and Xbox Live Gold members receive through Games with Gold will no longer include Xbox 360 titles. They say we reached a limit in our ability to add Xbox 360 games to the catalog. However, Games with Gold will continue to feature exciting Xbox One titles and exclusive savings each month. Uh, I mean, this it, it kind of makes sense that uh, we we reached this point, like I had mentioned earlier. But one thing that I will say that kind of does really suck about this is the advantage that the Xbox 360 games have over the Xbox One games in terms of their inclusion with games with gold is that if you claim a Xbox 360 game license, you actually keep that uh, regardless of your membership status. If you cancel your Xbox Live, you can actually still play those games there was kind of a uh, kind of a compatibility issue with how they track the ownership or the entitlement of those across the consoles and the easiest solution that they found i guess was just to give you uh, complete access to the title once you claim it so make sure you do claim whatever comes next in terms of xbox 360 games so you can keep those games forever but it's sad to see those go uh but again we're gonna see more xbox one games and uh there's always game pass which is what most people care about nowadays anyway Next up, we have some unexpected news coming uh, in the wake of a Lollipop Chainsaw remake announcement. It has been announced that that game is officially in development. Uh, Lollipop Chainsaw is an interesting game because once one, it's a very obscure title that was on the Xbox 360. But uh, not a lot of people know that, yes, it was created by Suda51, who's a legendary game developer who's known for making weird stuff. But it was also the only game that's ever been worked on by James Gunn, who obviously is the creator of Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, the newest Suicide Squad movie, and a ton of other movies. He's a beloved director who's known for kind of creating these crazy casts of characters and these crazy kind of movies. So him and Suda51 kind of are a peanut butter and jelly situation. And Lollipop Chainsaw, for what it's worth and what it ended up being, is actually a pretty fun game. Now, they are stating here in the press release that the original development team is working on the remake, but the director has warned that some things in the remake will differ from the original game. The first big difference will be with the game's soundtrack. He said the original featured the original game featured 15 licensed uh, tracks, and it's going to be hard to include all of those with the different licensing uh, issues that you'll run into after this much time has passed. However, it's been reported outside of the original release that both Suda51 and James Gunn have no involvement with this remake. It looks like a new uh, company, uh, Dragami Games, has actually bought the rights from the original uh, platform holder from Katagawa Games and the public and are working with the game's original publisher Warner Brothers uh, in this endeavor. So it is weird that they say that the original development team is working on the remake, uh, even though the kind of creator and leader of that team with Suda51 and one of the major influencers on that game, James Gunn, they have no involvement. So it remains to be seen what this will look like. I personally have a copy of it on Xbox 360 and I do think it is a pretty fun game. And so it is nice to see kind of more obscure titles like that get the remake treatment. So we'll look forward to seeing more information on that. It is targeting a 2023 release date. 
Next up, we have some rumors afoot. Nintendo has privated some Switch videos on their YouTube channel, uh, specifically ones that are talking about the reveal or kind of revealing the Switch OLED. And the reason why this kind of gets spun into the rumor mill is because typically they will remove these videos uh, of the console reveals, whether it's the Switch Lite, the original Switch, uh, the the kind of remap or the remake of the Switch, I guess for lack of a better term, the one that comes in the red box that has a slightly bigger battery. Uh, they removed those uh, slightly like in a few weeks before they would reveal the next one. So when the Switch Lite video was taken down a few weeks later, we got the Switch OLED. And with investor calls that have happened in the last few weeks, it's been uh, known that Nintendo was spending a lot more on their hardware, many, like hardware investment. It's significantly more than it's been ever. It's actually been more this year in hardware investment than it has when they released the OLED or the Switch Lite, uh, which makes people believe that we could be seeing a new Switch update, uh, whether that be a Switch 2, a Switch Pro, or a completely different console. And um, also, it is kind of a coincidence that the Switch Redbox, the Switch Lite, and the Switch OLED were all revealed in July, which, according to my research, is actually the month that we are currently in. So will we see an announcement for a new Nintendo Switch? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't really think so. There's actually another reason why this video could have been removed, which is pointed out by Kit Ellis, a former Nintendo employee. Uh, they had said that major videos like this, like the original OLED reveal, have music and or actors which are licensed for use in the video. And usually those licenses are for a year. And after a year has gone by, those licenses need to either be renewed or the video has to be taken down. The Switch OLED was announced a year ago tomorrow, being July 7th. And and that is most likely what's happening. The license for either the actors or the music or both in that video is run its course and Nintendo's opting to not renew them because why would you? Everybody knows about the Switch OLED. This video is out of date at this point. So we could definitely see something uh, near the end of July. Um, this is the month that they typically announce hardware, but uh, just because they remove these videos on YouTube, it doesn't really make a difference. I don't think that really makes me more or less uh, certain of this reveal. If they do reveal one, though, I think it's going to be huge. It's a, Personally, for me, it's going to be the first Nintendo console that I ever buy day one because I'm so in love with the Switch right now. And uh, it has the potential to be a really awesome device. The If the Switch had a little bit more power, I would like it a, a lot more. I do actually play it a lot, and I noticed in games like... Uh, Pokemon Unite, for example, which is one that I typically dive into every now and then. Uh, it's pretty sluggish, even just selecting a Pokemon at the beginning of the game. It's hard to kind of race to be the one to lock in Machamp, which is my main, before anybody else does because the character selector kind of lags. Even just going through the story, you can see a noticeable amount of lag just kind of flipping through different games and trying to watch trailers, which... That kind of goes to show the kind of low power the console has. Nintendo in their first party does a, a phenomenal job of uh, scraping what they can out of that device. But I think we're at the point now where we're starting to see it show its age, especially with something like Breath of the Wild 2 coming out uh, next year. I think the Switch 2 or Switch Pro and Breath of the Wild 2 is a perfect pairing and I would love to have that game come home with me the same day that I purchase my new Switch or Switch Pro. What do you guys think though? Are you loving the Switch right now? Do you think that it desperately needs uh, a revamp or a power upgrade of some kind? Uh, how would you feel if the next version of the Switch was not backwards compatible with the original Switch games? For me that would be 
almost a killing blow, I'd probably still buy it, but I would be very, very upset more. I would be so mad if that happens because I have this huge library of Switch games, which are my favorite games to own physically for the simple fact that you just chuck it in the console and you're good to go. There's no installation process or anything like that. It really kind of feels like a Game Boy, but it's obviously playing a lot of like AAA games and or games that are definitely not Game Boy games. So hopefully it is backwards compatible. They're usually pretty good with that. The Wii, the Wii U was backwards compatible. Uh, so hopefully, and the GameCube was also backwards compatible with the Wii. So hopefully they don't screw that one up and hopefully we hear something soon because I would love it if Breath of the Wild 2 ran uh, very, very smooth. And at the current state of things, based on what we've seen, I I don't think that it's going to, <laughs> but yeah, we'll wait and see on that one. I feel like if we don't hear anything in July, we probably won't hear anything for a while. So, uh, we still got three weeks left of this month. Here's hoping. Next up in the news, Ubisoft has revealed that that September 10th date that they had mentioned in the Assassin's Creed anniversary stream is definitely going to show us what's next for Assassin's Creed, but it's actually going to be a lot more than just that. They've revealed that a Ubisoft Forward event is actually taking place on that day, which will in fact feature what's new for Assassin's Creed, but will also feature what's new for a slew of other Ubisoft games, which is great. Like I had mentioned uh, a while back, Ubisoft is kind of the biggest public publisher that was completely absent from the Summer Games Fest. They didn't really make any appearance in any of the major streams. They did obviously show up at the Nintendo stream that that happened a couple weeks ago with Mario Rabbids, but outside of that they've been relatively quiet and they are a company that has thousands of developers and tons of really huge franchises. A lot of franchises that are usually annualized and we don't really know what's coming. We know Avatar's coming at the end of the year, but we haven't really seen much on that. And there's a lot of other stuff that's kind of been in the wind for a long time. I'm thinking of Tom Clancy's X Defiant. I'm thinking of um, the Division Heartland. They just revealed today that there's a mobile version of the Division coming soon, which uh, it has the potential to be a good game. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna slam the development team or slam the game, but without ever playing it. But I will say it does suck when you have a fan base for a AAA game like the Division who's desperate for a sequel or an expansion or more content, and what's revealed is a mobile game. It really kind of rings the same bells as the Diablo Immortal reveal, although to a lesser uh, extent because this didn't take place at a BlizzCon or in this case, a Ubisoft forward. So maybe it's a good thing that they got this reveal out of the way. And speaking of Ubisoft reveals, they've also showed that tomorrow on July 7th, they're going to do a deep dive into Skull and Bones, the pirate game from Ubisoft that has kind of been in development hell for a very, very long time. As somebody who played a lot of Sea of Thieves, I kind of have that thirst to get back into the pirating world of things. And to be honest, the way that Sea of Thieves is delivering their narrative content, uh, at least with this year, kind of with the FOMO, you had to be there style of game development, where if you don't play the story in the couple weeks that we have it available to you, you can't ever play it again. Uh, it makes it hard to drop in and drop out. I remember being hyped that they were going to have a year-long story, and then the the story launched right at the same time as Elden Ring, and uh, you can probably guess what I decided to play. And by the time I got through with Elden Ring and wanted to get back into Sea of Thieves, I was three, uh, I guess, chapters behind in the story, and they wanted me to start on chapter four without knowing or playing the first three chapters, which might not matter for some, but it kind of bugged me and kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I haven't really played a ton of it, and I'm actually really excited 
for Skull and Bones because uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I love the Assassin's Creed franchise. And my favorite Assassin's Creed game is Assassin's Creed Black Flag, which obviously is a big influence here for Skull and Bones. So I'll be tuning into that tomorrow and I will probably share my thoughts on that either in the next podcast episode or perhaps even on Season Gaming unless somebody else beats me to it, which is probably the likely scenario there. Next up, we have a little piece of wholesome nostalgia in the news. Twitter user PeepsSNES has actually completed uh, a kind of monumental task, in my opinion. What they are doing is they are scanning into a kind of online directory every single manual for every single Super Nintendo Entertainment System game. Uh, The last one was scanned in on July 1st, which was 90 Minutes European Prime Goal, a random soccer game I never heard of. But that was actually the last game in the project. I will link the project in the show notes and description below. I highly recommend checking this out. This is a Herculean effort here by Mr. Peebs. There are so many Super Nintendo games and those manuals are so hard to track down. I feel like anyone who's ever owned a Super Nintendo game will probably say that they have between zero and one manual for their entire library. I don't know what happened to manuals and boxes in the 90s, but games, as soon as people got them, and they seem to have thrown those out or do whatever with them. I almost, have, I probably have only seen in real life maybe like five or ten Super Nintendo game manuals. They are pretty rare, so tracking all of those down must have been very difficult, and to have them so accessible on this website is just a phenomenal trip down memory lane. So thank you, peeves, for all of your hard work. We love you for that, and please go and check this man out and see what they've accomplished with this mega awesome website. Next up in the news, we have some information on the next Nintendo Switch online trial. Uh, this is coming from Nintendo UK. They have announced that for this weekend, the weekend, if you're listening to this at the day of recording, from July the 6th until July the 12th, you'll be able to play Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle uh, for no additional cost if you are a Nintendo Switch online member. Uh, and that is just a member of the base service. You don't have to have the expansion pack to check this out. And this is a pretty obvious thing to do with the kind of upcoming release of Mario Plus Rabbids uh, Sparks of Hope, the newest entry in the series uh, coming pretty, I think it's in October, actually. It's pretty soon, only a few months away. And by the way, it did look fantastic at the Ubisoft showcase. I watched the kind of extended look at the game after the uh, Nintendo Direct and the changes they made may appear subtle for people who haven't really played much of this game, but they seem like things that will really shake up the gameplay in a good way. And overall, this is just one of the best games on Nintendo Switch, like point blank. I know that it's kind of a weird combination you have mario a beloved character with rabbits who a lot of people might not be as in love with but the ubisoft here's my take on ubisoft like at a very high level i think that ubisoft is a amazing company i think they are full of some of the most talented people in the industry they are always have incredible music incredible art incredible production value i think sometimes they get bogged down with some uh, poor decisions in terms of monetization and and directing. I think that they had created a really good formula and they are scared to move away from that in, because they could face some losses if they choose the wrong path. And so they kind of uh, repeat a lot of the same things that have worked in the past. This is a problem that a lot of developers face. Ubisoft's not unique in this, but I think that's kind of my high level approach to 
Ubisoft. But what happens here is Ubisoft is the developer, not the publisher of this game. Uh, well, I think they actually do publish it, but let's be honest. Nintendo has a huge kind of oversight on this whole project, the first game and the next game. So they are going to have the final say in what does and doesn't go into this game. So that makes Ubisoft free to kind of just um, lean into their strengths, which is literally everything. They have strong art, strong music, strong game design, strong gameplay, strong developers. They are just obviously just packed full of talented people. And it really shows in Mario plus rabbits. This game has no business being as fun as it is. It actually is quite challenging. The further you get into the game, the Donkey Kong DLC is fantastic. It's actually on sale. I believe right now on Nintendo switch for pretty cheap, but if, if you don't want to take my word for it, then jump in on this trial and uh, take a look at this fantastic game from Ubisoft. Honestly, one of the best games that they've made this side of Immortals Phoenix rising in uh, quite a long time, in my opinion, very, very good. And finally, the last piece of news is the current slate of upcoming Game Pass games has been revealed, and there is some interesting things here. Uh, running through the list or some of the lists pretty quickly here, we have uh, Respect V on cloud and console and PC. We have a match point at tennis game on cloud, console, and PC. We have my friend Peppa Pig and Adventure Calls City or Adventure City Calls, a Paw Patrol adventure on console, cloud, and PC as well. Shout out to the family games being added to Game Pass. I know like a lot of people meme on this stuff, and anyone who doesn't have kids really doesn't give a care about these types of games being added, but the thing you need to know about kids games is uh, they're not like cheap. <laughs> you Maybe after a while of being on the shelf, you can find them for 20, 30 bucks. But when these games launch, they're like 50 bucks a pop and they're usually not very long. But uh, you want to buy these things for your kids because they really identify and love these IP. So if you have the chance to get them included with Game Pass, that's money that these parents, myself included, can put into other games that they would rather play themselves, but still be able to have these awesome experiences with their kids. And huge shout out to the COA or the co-pilot feature on Xbox because that's how I play the majority of these games because my daughter is not necessarily old enough to kind of take the lead of the controller and being able to help her when she needs it instantly with the co-pilot feature is been a absolute game changer for me and how me and my daughter play video games. I can't wait for Peppa Pig and this Paw Patrol game to come out because we're going to jump into it right away and also uh, let's not let's not beat around the bush here. They are usually easy achievement farming games so I'll see you guys on a leaderboard next month. Next up, we have a day and date release of Power Wash Simulator, which is looking to be a fantastic game for anybody who just wants to unwind and power wash uh, a whole bunch of stuff. We have Road 96 coming to console, cloud and PC, Escape Academy coming to console and PC, Last Call and Overwhelm coming to PC only. But the last three games I want to take a special look at because Yakuza 0, Yakuza Kiwami and Yakuza Kiwami 2 are all making their return to Game Pass, which is interesting. These three games, by the way, are fantastic. You absolutely need to play them, especially Yakuza 0. I see a lot of people wondering, like, where do I start with Yakuza? They're confused for some reason. The answer is you start at Yakuza 0. That's the starting point. I don't know, like, I don't understand how that's difficult. Like, that is the first number. Like, the, anyways... That aside, the games are fantastic. Uh, Kiryu is one of the best characters in gaming. These are harken back to the old school beat-em-ups that you would have played on like 
uh, 16-bit consoles or maybe even early PlayStation N64 days. However, they have insanely awesome stories and insanely wacky side quests that I love. I love the Yakuza series, and it's awesome to see games returning to Game Pass. Uh, you don't often see that, especially uh, games from Japan. They usually kind of come in, see how they do, and then you never hear from them again. So hopefully we'll see more games come back to Game Pass. I'm looking at you, Red Dead 2. That was one that left really quick. Love to see something like that come back. But overall, uh, this is not the end of what's coming this month. Usually there's a few more games that sneak in in the middle and end of the month, but this is a pretty good offering right off the bat. I'm going to save money on those kids games, and I'm going to jump back into Yakuza because I originally played them on PlayStation. So here we go. And that's it for the news today. I hope you uh, got your fill. We're going to move into the feature for this episode, which is kind of an interesting one. I know that uh, a lot of podcasts will start their shows with uh, what they've been playing, which I personally don't think anyone cares too much about what I personally have been playing. Uh, what I have been playing is a ton of games, and I don't like to talk about that every week because, to be honest, uh, this might be sound mean, but I usually skip that part when I'm listening to podcasts because I care about their opinions on the different news articles and different topics or whatever their discussions are. Uh, I don't really care too much about what what they're playing, and I don't think that you care about what I'm playing at least every week, which is why today I'm going to do a one-off, which is the best games I've played so far this year. Now, this isn't exclude. This isn't only games that came out this year. This is the games that the best games I've played this year. Um, a lot of them are games that have come out this year, but a lot of them aren't. And it's kind of interesting, I think, to uh, look back. And, and honestly, there's no way that you can predict this because like, there's so many games that didn't come out this year that came out in other years. You have no idea what's going to be on this list. So you definitely need to stay tuned and check this out. So without further ado, let's jump in to my top 10 games that I've played so far in 2022. Number 10. Yes, I bet you were not expecting to see Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trilogy anywhere on this list. Uh, overview of Phoenix Wright, Ace, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trilogy. This is a visual novel experience. However, you are playing as a up-and-coming lawyer, which makes things very interesting. I don't play a ton of visual novels, which is the main reason why I've waited a billion years to finally check out this Phoenix Wright game. However, with the twist of you being a lawyer and needing to really pay attention to everything people say in order to spot contradictions in their story is a brilliant way to make sure that you are not zoning out when other characters are talking. That's a problem that I have anytime I've played any similar games to this or any other visual novels is I'll just eventually just want to get to the the big action scenes or the big like kind of story reveals and I'll, I might start mashing that skip button a little bit too much. But if you do that in this game, you're going to miss out on some vital cues that, pe that your witnesses may have that will help you spot contradictions. It's kind of weird how I actually decided to pick this game up, to be honest. Uh, some of you may or may not know about what's going on with the act man on YouTube, but he made a pretty hilarious video that was kind of documenting a lot of the misgivings that another fellow YouTuber had done. And he did so uh, basically using this game as his kind of fake trial of said YouTuber. And I kind of just really liked the different audio cues and the different sounds and music that that are tied to this game that uh, I kind of just dove in. It was also it was on sale, which which really, really helped. 
But overall, this is a fantastic game. Phoenix Wright is a great character. All of the people that are on trial, the other opponent lawyers you have, the different witnesses and characters in the game are all memorable. They all kind of fit into a character caricature of, of sorts, but uh, I kind of really liked almost everyone I've talked to so far. I'm not all the way through the game yet. I think I finished the first game and I'm in the second game somewhere, uh, but it's so much fun. Like I, like I said, you're looking in the environments, you're paying way more attention there than you would typically in a game like this because you're trying to see clues and, and find different ways that you can kind of put your case together. And then anytime you hit that objection button, obviously is fantastic. And when you really start getting the the plaintiff or the witness kind of like tripping over their words and kind of you're picking out all of their inconsistencies and all their contradictions and they start fumbling and they start kind of snowballing out of control it just feels really good because the music picks up right when that starts happening and then oh man it's just such a good experience i really regret not picking this up uh when it originally came out this is definitely one of the most surprising experiences i've had this year it's just a game that i never expected to either even try uh definitely never expected to to really really enjoy it and i know there's more of these games available even there's more of these games available on xbox or playstation so once i'm done with the trilogy i definitely plan on jumping into more entries and i hope that this game makes a comeback in some way i would love to see more phoenix wright games it's just like a timeless kind of style it's, it's just really really good number nine Pokemon Legends Arceus. Uh, this is the first Pokemon game that I have played since Pokemon Yellow. I got Pokemon Blue, I believe, with my blue Game Boy Pocket around the time that it came out, and I remember getting Pokemon Yellow for my birthday the following year. I loved these games just like every kid my age did, but after Yellow, I just never got another one. I did graduate from a Game Boy Pocket to a Game Boy Advance, and I was able to get Golden Sun, which I really, really liked. But after Golden Sun, just based on my situation at home and my family and whatnot, a lot of the times my games were picked up at flea markets or yard sales or used in some way, shape or form. And as you know, uh, any game from Nintendo really holds on to that value for dear life. And you don't often see them on sale or, or for a budget price. So I just never really picked up any other Pokemon games leading into like the Xbox generation. And after the Xbox came out, I just never played handhelds anymore after that. So uh, my last experience with Pokemon was actually yellow, which was weird for me to jump into Arceus. I actually only did it because A, my kid was interested in the Pokemon show and B, my girlfriend had a lot of points at shoppers and just bought this for our daughter. Uh, so I played it, obviously. <laughs> But uh, it is a really awesome game. It's not anything like spectacular. It's not going to blow you away with its gameplay mechanics. Although I will say it is pretty cool to actually run around in third person, see the Pokemon on the screen. They're not random encounters and actually aim and throw a Pokeball. That's something that um, I thought was actually quite a novel experience. And then being able to in, in the battles, in the Pokemon battles, walk around and see things happen from different angles as you like command your Pokemon to do is different 
uh, attacks was quite good. Uh, the story's basically non-existent, at least as far as I'm in the game, there isn't really a story. The story is you came out of the sky and you had to collect uh, collect them all. <laughs> That's basically the story. But the gameplay loop is just so relaxing and, and it's kind of addicting, honestly. This is a game that I often play while I'm doing other things, like if I'm watching sports or if I'm watching uh, a podcast or listening to like some kind of internet video or, or anything like that. Something where I don't, I can play this game without having to give it 100% attention. And that's mostly due to the fact that there isn't really a story to keep up with. So it is a game that I've actually played quite a bit of because I all, I do enjoy watching the average movie or watching sports or doing other things versus gaming. Uh, but I always have that itch to game at all times. So this kind of helps me with that. It has pretty iconic sound effects, very good music, especially uh, the music in the main city. The Jubilee Village theme is so relaxing and great. I love hearing that music. Uh, this is just a really decent game. The, like I said, visuals, not that great. Gameplay is not going to blow you away, but it's kind of like Stardew Valley in a way. I'm not going to compare those games directly, but Stardew Valley has that similar effect where you kind of just, you're not doing anything special when you're playing that game, but you're just in the zone. You just feel relaxed and you just feel good. You're just kind of hanging out. It's kind of like the equivalent of watching like, I don't know, people's court or like Mari. You're not learning anything. You're not gaining anything. You don't even really like necessarily what you're doing that much, but you do it anyway. Cause you're just chilling and you're just sitting there and, and having fun. That's my number nine Pokemon legends. Arceus number eight. Tunic is nearly a perfect tribute to A Link to the Past, which is my second favorite game on Super Nintendo. I wish I wish I still had my copy of Demon's Crest. But A Link to the Past is obviously a seminal game in gaming history. It's probably, all things considered, the best game on the Super Nintendo. And this is clearly a tribute to that game. It almost feels impossible that this game was made by only one person. And I know in interviews, he'll be the first to say that it wasn't just one person. He had people help with the music. He had people help with QA and stuff like that. But realistically, let's give the man his credit. He did the lion's share of everything that that went into this game. And it is it blows my mind what he was able to achieve here. The game is incredibly charming. The gameplay is very, very tight. And most importantly, uh, the incredible understanding of the source material, I'm talking about Link to the Past and similar games like that, lead to some impeccable game direction here. You may get lost every now and then, but you'll always find your way based if you just pay attention and look. It really kind of harkens back to that old school game design where they weren't necessarily holding everybody's hands because let's be real, these games needed to last and the cartridges were only so big so they couldn't necessarily guide you through everything or the experience wouldn't last as long and it really leads to a better experience uh, this type of game design will show its face again at the end of this list hint hint spoilers ahead but uh, i really 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 liked tunic so many little details and such a massive scope for the size of the team it's on game pass 100 recommend jumping into tunic number seven Horizon Forbidden West. Horizon Forbidden West obviously is a sequel to uh, Horizon Zero Dawn for the PS4, and it 
brings Aloy back, but this time she is looking insane. This is the best looking game I think I've ever seen in my life. It's it's so beautiful and lush and gorgeous. It's, it's like every five steps is there. You're in a screenshot worthy scenario. It has one of the most realistic depictions of human beings I have ever seen, not just in their visual appearance, but their mannerisms, the way they talk. And yes, the way they look, it's just insane. Obviously, I am aware that they are wearing insane clothes that are made up of like monster parts or robot parts and stuff like that. But just how they emote, their faces, just their body types, their sizes, this is literally the most realistic depiction of human beings I've ever seen. And I was, even side quest characters that most people aren't even going to see look amazing. And the main quest characters, like the main cast, it's just unbelievable. The gameplay is as tight as ever. In fact, it's even better than it was in Horizon Zero Dawn. It runs phenomenally after the patch uh, recently at a solid 60 FPS. It is a gorgeous game that might be slightly too big, perhaps. I am kind of a completionist with these games, so I have been putting in a ton of hours into the game, but I feel like I'm just now kind of reaching where the story starts to pick up because I've just been doing so much. But uh, the main issue I have with this and the reason why I think it's a little lower on this list than it really should be is because it just came out at the worst time ever. I got my collector's edition of Horizon Forbidden West like three days maybe before uh, Elden Ring came out. Another spoiler for (laughs) the top of this list, which I don't think is going to be a surprise to anybody. But uh, I had to play this game for three days, really like what I've done, what I've played, and then immediately quit cold turkey and go into Elden Ring for like a month straight. Um, Elden Ring is a game that I was going to do a lot of multiplayer in, so it really benefited from being there at launch, which was the basis of my decision to kind of quit Elden or Horizon and jump into that game. And then coming back to it after maybe 10 hours and trying to kind of re-immerse myself into the game uh, was challenging. And it's the reason why I didn't know life it like I did with the first game. Horizon Zero Dawn, as soon as that game went in my PlayStation, it didn't come out until I platinumed it. Uh, which I can't say the same for this one, unfortunately. However, thinking of it and writing my notes down, I literally have no negative things to say about this game. So I'm jumping back into it really soon. I'm going to Platinum it just like the first one, and it's definitely a game I recommend picking up. Number six. Card Shark is a genius example of perfect game design. I know those are kind of big words to say for such a small little game, but this game blew me away with how clever it is. It is literally amazing. Essentially, in this game, you play as a simple bartender working at a bar, or maybe they call it a tavern or a pub in um, olden times France. And one day, a mysterious kind of swindler shows up, and he's playing a game of cards with another patron. Safe to say, the shit hits the fan, and uh, the patron ends up killing your boss, and you end up leaving the tavern to travel along uh, France with this swindler. And throughout this process, you will venture to various different places in ancient France, 
and speak with various individuals uh, performing card tricks, not necessarily tricks, but card cheats to cheat all these people out of their money and out of their knowledge. Because every time you learn a new skill and a new cheat and you cheat somebody else, little tidbits of the story start to unravel and you will be surprised at how deep this web goes. It goes from pretty aimless and pretty kind of weird to being a interesting political drama that kind of is way better than it has any right to be. But the core of this game is the gameplay. It's so incredible. There are, I believe, 28 different card tricks that you'll learn throughout the uh, game, and they keep adding new ways to to cheat people out of money and then they'll take these tricks and compound them on top of each other so you have to do them in different sequences and they are just so clever. None of these are just simply press a button and do a trick. They all require a sequence of uh, button presses or memory um, or just you have to pay attention and it really requires a pretty solid amount of brain power from being honest. You can't just lean back and leisurely play this game or else you're going to fail. And at the bottom of the screen while you're playing, you'll have this kind of suspicion meter. So every time you mess up a trick or mess up a cheat, uh, the person who you're playing against will get more and more suspicious uh, to the point where they may just kill you, <laughs> which happened to me a few times. So the stakes are there and you'll get to this point where you've lost a few hands, you're starting to run out of money and the suspicion meter has gone up and you really need to nail this. And this tension that this game provides is just so palpable and I can't believe how good this game is. It's one of the best games of the year and it's flying criminally low under everyone's radar. I 100% check, recommend checking this out. There's actually a demo available that's act quite meaty, to be honest. There's a lot of content in the demo and I believe that the process or the the how far you get in the demo will actually carry over to the main game uh, on the eShop. So I'll definitely check out the demo. You owe it to yourself. This is literally almost a perfect game for what it is. It's one of my favorite games I played in a long time. It just surprised me so much. I've never even thought of this gameplay concept. Number five. Neon White. In Neon White, you play as the titular Neon White, who is a Neon. What Neons are, are kind of people who have died and gone to a purgatory and have been assigned by different angels to kind of uh, help them with various tasks in terms of slaying demons and stuff like that for a chance opportunity at gaining entry into heaven. There are several Neons in the game that you will interact with, uh, but the, that's kind of secondary to the amazing, amazing gameplay that's on display here. To kind of describe, I think the best way to describe this game is that it is kind of like the gauntlet run from Titanfall 2, if you remember that, where you are combining a mix of gunplay, very good movement abilities, and uh, parkour to kind of get from one end of the stage to the other, take out all the targets in the fastest time possible. It takes that concept and it raises it to like unfathomable levels. You pick up cards throughout the levels, which are in turn kind of your weapon that you can use to shoot like weapons there's different types there's handguns machine guns and bolt action rifles and the kind of usual suspects you'd expect for guns but every single gun that you pick up has a 
uh, throwaway mechanic where you can press a button to throw the gun away and it will kind of help you in some way, shape or form in terms of your movement. So if you throw away a handgun, it will give you a little bit of a super jump. If you throw away a machine gun, it will in turn act as a bomb that can blow up uh, barriers that are blocking you or just kill a huge amount of demons that are in your in your way. Every time I go through one of these levels, it's just a, a thrill when you get to the end and you see that you're like only a couple seconds off that high platinum ranking. You're just going back in every single time to, to kind of etch out those those different rankings. It's just so polished, so smooth. It runs really, really well on the Switch, surprisingly. It, it runs at a solid 60 FPS. There are some dips here and there because, I mean, it is a Nintendo Switch, but uh, it is just a crazy game. It's oozing with style. It really kind of... The character aesthetics kind of remind me a little bit of Hades, although it's definitely a little bit more anime than that. Uh, and it has extremely good music, which is essential for a game like this. And yeah, I this is one of the newest games on the list. I don't think it has a demo in the eShop, but uh, it's a game that I definitely recommend checking out. It's 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 clearly one of the best games I've played so far this year. It has such an addicting gameplay loop. I'm in love with Neon White. Number four. Kirby's Forgotten Land. This is a game that I bought with the sole purpose of playing co-op with my daughter, and it had been one of the best experiences I've had gaming with her ever. Uh, it rivals Luigi's Mansion 3 in that regard, and is just one of the most purest Nintendo games I think I've ever played, if you know what I mean. Essentially, the game is more of a harken to Mario Odyssey kind of version of Kirby where you are playing in uh, independent levels that you access through kind of an overworld but they are much bigger and open-ended in 3D obviously. Uh, Kirby has a ton of awesome powers that you can collect which was always really fun. Has very cute characters, a pretty bog standard story but it hit all the all the right notes for me and my daughter especially. Uh, the story basically revolves around Kirby being transported into the quote forgotten lands and going on a quest to save his friends the Waddle Dees from the various uh, various floras and faunas that are kind of attacking them and, and kidnapping them and of course King Dedede is involved and there's just a lot of uh, fun to be had in this game. The gameplay itself is just very, very fun. There's a lot of cool platforming, a lot of cool kind of uh, combat scenarios, especially some really nice boss fights. What's really interesting is when you kind of complete the game, the game's not necessarily completed where you get transported into this other dimension where you play remixed versions of the other levels. And they're actually remixed like quite significantly and they are significantly more challenging, which was really refreshing um, because the game is quite easy as it is kind of meant for a younger audience but I definitely enjoyed the more challenging kind of end game uh, which is weird to say for a Kirby game I was also very happy that they included a spring breeze mode which is what we mostly played on uh, as it's just a more easy version and the co-op is perfect because it allows player one my daughter to be Kirby and be kind of the center point of everything that's going on and then I play as a Waddle D which is more or less a helper to her which is kind of the kind of co-op relationship that I'm looking for in, in the games that I play with 
with my five-year-old daughter. Uh, overall, ironically enough, this is easily my most played game outside of Elden Ring so far this year. According to my Nintendo Switch, I am closing in on 50 hours played of Kirby, believe it or not. That's my uh, number five game, and uh, it's one of my favorite experiences of the year so far. Number three. Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. This is one of the oldest games on this list, having come out originally, I think, in 2011. But uh, it's new for me, and it's a game that I started playing this year. Uh, overall, in the story, I'm not going to get into any real spoilers here, but it has a pretty interesting concept from the get-go. There are these two massive titans, Bionis and Mechonis, who are kind of eternally at war with each other until one day they both hit each other with fatal blows that uh, basically kill themselves. And because of how massive they are, they actually spawn their own ecosystems on top of each other and start kind of sustaining life. Uh, entire settlements of people were born on Bionis and they've created cities and towns and they're just, it's basically like a planet to them. That's how big these titans are but on the other end of the spectrum on mechonis they have spawned a machine army that is hell-bent on taking out everybody on bionis and they're eternally at conflict with each other and you play as shulk the protagonist who mysteriously has the power to wield this uh, kind of crazy sword called the Minato, which is one of the only things you can do, or the, one of the only weapons that are on Bionis that's capable of uh, harming the Mechon warriors. And what follows is a pretty awesome story with some pretty awesome characters. Uh, a lot of really crazy stuff happened, even in just the first like 10 or so hours of the game. The gameplay is very reminiscent of an MMO. It's not a turn-based JRPG by any means. You have a, a few amount of abilities on a hotbar, just like you would in an MMO, and you can freely move around the battlefield while you're fighting, and a lot of your abilities are reliant on your positioning, so you may have powers that will kind of do more damage or have a better effect if you attack from like the side or the back or something like that. So you're constantly managing aggro, just like you would in an MMO. The side quests work exactly like they would in an MMO. Go here, collect this, kill this, etc. Uh, however, they automatically turn in, which really helps with the pacing. The music is fantastic. The scope and the size of the worlds is just really, really crazy for a Nintendo game uh, when you consider how much power that console has. Uh, it has bigger areas than you'll see in other games of the similar games that are on more powerful consoles. Obviously, it's not the most graphically impressive game out there because again it is a switch game but the scale and scope of the world is uh pretty awesome and the art direction is really great so there are still some breathtaking 
uh, vistas and really awesome scenery and stuff like that. It's really, really cool. And I'm trying to finish this uh, and two before Xenoblade 3 comes out. I have no chance in doing that because these are really, really long games. But I think as somebody who doesn't play a lot or any really JRPGs, this is probably one of the best ones I've ever played. And it's one of the best games I've played so far this year. Number two. Legend of Zelda <laughs> Skyward Sword, another old game that has made it very high on this list. I am somebody who is in a Nintendo renaissance, if you haven't noticed so far. The majority of this list is Nintendo games, and that's because of a unique phenomenon that happened after I played the next game that we're going to talk about. This game, Skyward Sword, is the last Zelda game that came out before Breath of the Wild. It was a game that was originally released as a Wii game, so it is very heavily tied into that motion control scheme, but Nintendo have kind of reworked the controls to support that style of play with the uh, Joy-Cons, but also they have a kind of pro controller or controller way of controlling the game, if that makes sense to you. Uh, I think both play really, really well. I think the actual best way to play this, though, is still the Wii version. But this is a game that is a prequel story to Zelda, so it really had me interested in it because I loved Breath of the Wild. There's some really fantastic and creative puzzles in this game. Really, you can kind of see the... I mean, I'm no Zelda expert, so this might be like wrong what I'm saying right now, but playing Skyward Sword and seeing how creative the puzzles are and how awesome all the mechanics kind of mold together, it really can... I can really understand how the next evolution of this was Breath of the Wild because that's my favorite part of Breath of the Wild. It has great Zelda characters. It has a really good story, like I said. I love the soundtrack. I love the ability that you have to fly on your loft wing bird to fly to the different areas. You can fast travel kind of, but you fast travel from the area back up to Skyloft, which is like the town that's in the sky and you can, you fly around on the bird, which is like really, really fun. The bosses are very fun to fight because they are so deeply tied into the mechanics of the, the different gameplay elements, like the directional swinging of the sword, swinging up and down or left and right or diagonally. Sometimes you have to be very accurate with how you swing, which is works really well with the motion controls, but also works really well with the thumbstick controls. It's uh, it's just a great, great game. Combat's interesting. I actually have played a surprising amount of this with the motion control setup on the Joy-Cons, which is the first time I've done that with literally any game, as I was kind of really against um, motion controls, at least in the original early days of the Wii, having just been playing it at a friend's house. So I love Zelda since Breath of the Wild. I'm interested in playing all of the Zelda games. The next one on my list is going to be Ocarina of Time because I just secured one of those Nintendo 64 controllers. And yeah, I'm I'm a big Zelda fanboy now. I'm a big Nintendo fanboy now. And Skyward Sword is one of the best games I've played so far this year. Number one. Elden Ring. There's no surprise here. 
Elden Ring is possibly the greatest open world that video games has ever seen. Everywhere you look, there is something to discover, and, and even after nearly 100 hours, I definitely have not seen anywhere close to everything that this game has to offer. Combat in the Souls series has always been considered great, but it is nearly perfected in Elden Ring. The addition of the jump, the mounted combat, and the sheer vastness of the available weapons and combat arts is staggering. Elden Ring is a full RPG, which you can't say the same for of all Souls games. The ways in which you could build your character has always been pretty flexible in the core Souls games, but the build possibilities you have here are near limitless, and best of all, almost every way to play the game is completely viable. The game is beautiful. Every vista makes you stop to take a screenshot, every creature is so unique, and the many bosses is, are just all showpieces. I love Elden Ring. It is a battle between Elden Ring and God of War for my favorite single player game of all time. The multiplayer mechanics in this are phenomenal. It's the best the series has ever had. I've had so much fun just PVPing. I've had so much fun ra helping random strangers, helping my friends beat bosses who have never played a Souls game. It's the most approachable game, but it doesn't sacrifice the difficulty. It's still extremely hard, but you have ways that make it easier if you put the work in, which is exactly how any RPG should should feel. This is easily the best game that's come out this year. It's easily the best game that's come out since God of War 2018. There is really nothing that can touch this game. It is a absolute masterpiece. 10 out of 10, no question. Elden Ring is a must play for anybody who enjoys video games even slightly. It is my favorite game so far in 2022. Hey, if you made it to the end of this list, thank you so much for watching. What are your favorite games of 2022? And what do you think of this kind of way of including games that didn't just come out in 2022? Was it more interesting? Was it less interesting? I do plan on doing a follow-up to this, obviously, at the end of the year uh, for my favorite games of the year or favorite games I played so far in 2022. Would you rather me keep that to specifically games that came out this year? Or do you like this kind of anything can show up level of Smash Bros character reveal style uh, favorite game reveals where I can include literally anything, including uh, visual novels from the Nintendo DS or Wii games that have been remade for the Switch. Either way, I would love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for watching. Remember to have fun out there and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>